Welcome to DMB and the special episode of our podcast Utbytte, where we'll discuss the outlook for LNG shipping. I am Marius Brunhaugen from DNB Markets, and today I'm joined by Paul Wogan, the CEO of Gaslog. How are you, Paul? Yes, good morning. Very well, thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, it's great to have you with us. We are also joined by my colleague and shipping analyst here at DNB Markets, Mats B. All well at the office, Mats? Yes, uh, certainly. Sun is shining over Oslo today. <laughs> That's good to hear. So the way we'll do this is that uh, Mats and I will take turns asking uh, questions uh, to you today, Paul, and uh, I'll kick off uh, straight away. And I think uh, for the listeners that are not too familiar with uh, the space, could you start by explaining in brief what is uh, LNG and what is Gaslog's role in the industry? Yes, of course. Well, LNG is, is quite simply natural gas, which is supercooled uh, to minus 162 degrees centigrade to turn into liquid uh, and put on vessels uh, and shipped around the world. And basically, it's a way, way to use gas that would otherwise be surplus uh, to needs or stranded. You know, if there's no demand center close by um, that's close enough to be supplied by pipeline, then it's liquefied put on our ships and then we take it wherever uh, the buyer wants it and uh, it's then discharged ashore where it's regasified and put into the grid and uh, used as any other natural gas. So uh, basically, um, it's uh, gas locks role in the industry as is a floating pipeline. Uh, Paul, the, the LNG space has uh, traditionally been one with uh, very long contracts for freight, uh, maybe reaching as much as 20 years or, or longer. Recent years has seen a shift with, with more volumes being moved as spot cargoes and contract durations uh, are getting uh, shorter as, as a trend. How do you see this development going forward and how do, uh, how do you and Gaslog try to position in the space? Yeah, I, I, it's a good observation. The market has certainly uh, changed you know, over the past 20 years. And if you go back uh, to when LNG first started, it was very much, uh, you know, point to point. So you would have, let's say, a you know new facility in Southeast Asia would be built. Um, a Japanese utility, for example, would take all the contracted uh, volumes for the next twenty years, and the, the ships would go backwards and forwards, just delivering from uh, the uh, uh, point where it was uh, being produced to uh, the, the facilities of, of the utility. Um, over the last few years, that has definitely changed as um, LNG has become much more of a global commodity, much more traded. Um, and so there's been a movement away from just single point uh, uh, movement of cargoes. Um, but still underneath uh, most of the commodity trade is is underpinned by long term sale and purchase agreements. So. Today, around about 70 to 80% of all LNG trading is still done uh, under long-term sale and purchase contracts, maybe not 20 years, maybe 10 or 12 or 15 years. And similarly, um, around uh, 70 to 80% of the global carrier fleet, sort of mirroring the commodity, is also operating on some form of multi-year charter. But the spot market and the short-term market, and in this market, unlike Others in shipping, you know, when we're talking about that, we're really talking about anything, you know, below five years. 
um, is is growing. Uh, traders are becoming involved. Portfolio players are becoming involved, um, and they're wanting to and they're adding, if you like, optionality into the market, and they're making uh, the the product available. But still, if you're going to build a multi-billion facility to liquefy the gas, you need some type of long-term contracts underneath it to finance it. So uh, in general, I don't think there's going to be a movement fully away from the long-term contracts. Some, some of the players in it, some of the major oil companies, uh, the Qataris, for example, can probably underwrite their own facilities. But in general, uh, the people who want to develop the LNG facilities are still going to want some sale and purchase agreements, uh, long-term agreements to be able to underwrite their facilities. And I think they will allow some of their product to be to be bought and sold in the open market. So definitely a movement towards uh, sh- shorter-term contracts and more flexibility. So Paul, gas has been uh, lifted as uh, the perhaps uh, only fossil fossil fuel that has a role to play in the energy mix for uh, the future. Can you share your views um, the out- on the outlook for gas demand growing uh, growth going forward, say the next uh, decade? Yeah, I think uh, as you say, it's it's one of the the few uh, hydrocarbons that's really expected to grow. It's, it's really the, the fastest growing hydrocarbon. Um, Wood Mac, for example, Wood Mackenzie are forecasting uh, LNG demand growth of around four to five percent per annum uh, for the next ten years, um, and that demand is is primarily driven by uh, a couple of things: is div- by developing economies uh, in Asia looking to swap from coal to gas uh, in their uh, energy mix for electricity generation. It's um, also in terms of um, uh, coal to gas change in Europe as well. We've seen quite a lot of that uh, over the last couple of years as carbon pricing has taken effect and as the the, the, uh, LNG um, has become cheaper. And, um, you know, also massive growth uh, in China. Again, you know, looking at their pollution, using gas as a way to, uh, to bring down their pollution. And I think the reason that the outlook for gas is so good is that it's it's an ideal fuel to work alongside renewables. You know, it's a great way to backfill uh, energy when the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining. Um, you know, gas-fired power generation is very quick to bring online when required, and it provides great flexibility. So I think that ability to work in tandem with renewables is is uh, uh, you know, one of the things that's also. Um, helping uh, to push the gas demand, you know, and it is significantly cleaner than coal. It's price competitive with coal. I think also, as well as the energy and and the heating sort of sector, the other sector where we think it's going to have uh, a large increase in demand is is in the transportation sector as well. Certainly uh, uh, on the bunkering sector for ships, uh, but also you're seeing it used more and more in. Uh, you know, the uh, railways in long distance trucking, et cetera. So, you know, those sort of uh, factors, I think, uh, are driving the demand for gas. So we're quite bullish um, over the next uh, 10 years, you know, and definitely support the Woodmac forecast. 
Uh, yes, yes, Paul. And uh, as you say, the, the demand, uh, underlying demand growth seems strong at 4 to 5% and maybe even more in the last few years. But if you look at the current LNG prices, uh, they're at historical lows. Asian prices at uh, just about $2 per MBTU or around 7% of Brent, uh, which is close to half the historical trading range of around 13, 14%. Uh, now, this to us it would indicate that the the energy energy market in general is oversupplied, but maybe even more so on the gas market uh, right now. If you look at the even shorter um, time period, uh, um, how do you see the LNG demand catching up with supplies uh, near term, uh, keeping in mind uh, all the while that low well, low gas prices, low LNG prices is a negative for freight as you would normally see. Uh, shorter sailing distances. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, certainly what's interesting is for LNG, um, it isn't really low demand that's creating the issue. For example, you know, we've just seen uh, in China, uh, whilst they're, you know, they were locked down in the first quarter, you know, coming back in April, their, in, their demand increased by 32% year over year. Uh, India in the first quarter before they went into lockdown, their demand was up 37% year over year. And I think that is just a, a, a great example of how low pricing, you know, historically creates demand. So the demand has been, um, you know, holding up very well, I think, compared to, you know, what we're seeing the absolute demand destruction for oil, for example, for LNG, uh, it's holding up quite well. The problem is the supply that has come on stream uh, last year and is coming on this stream is uh, coming on stream this year is very high. And as you say, that supply against uh, you know a sort of flat to sort of slightly uh, increasing demand is what's pushing the pricing down. Um, you know, low the best response or the best uh, uh, way to to counter low prices is low prices because eventually it creates the the demand, but. I don't think the pricing we're seeing at the moment is sustainable, but we do need LNG to be, I think, relatively well priced to continue to be able to take um, uh, market share from from coal, etc. So we need, you really need to get to, I think, to a balance where you're seeing LNG pricing somewhere between sort of seven to ten dollars uh, longer term. Um, that I think allows the the, the producers to uh, to be profitable and I think makes it competitive against uh, some of the other uh, some of the other sources from our point of view um, as, as ship owners yes you don't the, the, the prices we're seeing at the moment especially when you're seeing JKM and uh, TTF prices dropping you know even below the the sort of Henry hub pricing makes it very difficult uh, in terms of uh, shipping, in terms of uh, being able to make a margin. What has been interesting this year, though, is that if you look at the amount of short-term uh, cargoes in the first quarter, it was up quite substantially um, on the first quarter of uh, 2019. So there has continued to be uh, a demand for shipping, albeit at, at lower rates. From Gaslog's point of view, it doesn't affect us as much as some other companies in that the vast majority of our ships are on long-term contracts at fixed rate, uh, which is not, has nothing to do with the commodity pricing or anything like that. So 
whilst we have some ships trading in the spot market and we would love those vessels to be earning more, uh, the, the majority of our business is coming from a longer term uh, contracted business. I think the final thing on the, on the demand supply side is what we're seeing right now is I think the uh, pandemic is likely to push out new project sanctions. There was going into this year, expected to be you know talk of 50 70 million tons of new project sanctions this year i think most of those get pushed out and we don't see those coming in uh, now until mid uh, 20s which i think gives breathing space for the for the market to to rebalance in the in the short to medium term but paul uh, would you say there is so much uh, oversupply that there is a risk of uh, curtailed lng production volumes in 2020 much like uh, the oil markets is experiencing at uh, the moment? Um, yes. I mean, we're starting to see uh, reports of cargo cancellations, uh, primarily, I think, from the US uh, uh, for the summer. Um, you know, there's been talk of potentially 20 cargos uh, not being lifted in June uh, and July. Not clear if all those cancellations will actually happen because the way it works is that certainly for quite a few of the uh, projects in the US, uh, the text take Chenier, for example, Chenier has a tolling agreement whereby it, uh, it gets paid uh, for the production, whether or not the customer takes it. If the customer decides not to take it, they've already been paid. So they can then also decide, well, now I've been paid to process this. Do I still want to take, uh, you know, do I want to process the cargo and try and make uh, a turn on it myself? So, if you, for example, you hear maybe 20 cargos have been um, uh, postponed in June, some of those may get taken, some of them, but they may not, they, they may not uh, as well. To put it into perspective as well, we did some, some sort of work on it. We think if you saw 20 to 25 cargos a month for the next two, three months um, not be moved out of the US, it's equivalent, we believe, to around uh, 10 vessels out of a fleet of around sort of 500 uh, uh, ships. So not a not a huge amount, but still, I don't think, uh, you know, we, we would prefer all that cargo to be moved. It sort of certainly helps in terms of tightening the market. But uh, from a shipping side, it's not as, uh, as drastic, if those figures uh, maintain as, uh, as it perhaps first appears. And then um, jump, jumping from the demand side of uh, ships to supply side, uh, there have been very limited new build orders in 2020, which can be seen as a positive after you had 66 large LNG seas ordered in 2018 and, and 50 last year in 2019. And that adds about or even more than 25% of the fleet in terms of carrying capacity. If you look at the order book now, one third is not committed to long-term charters, but um, how do you see how what should we expect from ordering activity going forward? As uh, will it bounce back? Do you believe when economic activity picks up again? Um, well, I, I suppose the quick answer to that is I hope not. You know, uh, we've been really encouraged by the recent slowdown in the orders, uh, and I'm not being a Monday morning quarterback here. I think if you look back over our earnings releases over the last sort of four, five, six quarters, we've been saying for a long time we think that. You know, we're in a good position from a new building uh, situation. We shouldn't be ordering new ships. Certainly, we um, ourselves 
<clears throat> haven't ordered um, anything over the last sort of uh, 18, 24 months. Uh, we've got five new orders still uh, still to come, but all of them are on long-term charters over over seven years, nothing open to the market. So we've been trying to say for a while that you know, we need to have a restraint in new ordering because we, you know, what tends to happen is that the vessels will deliver on time and the projects will drop back. And so there has never been a point where looking forward, there have been too many ships for the amount of product coming, but there's always been a, uh, you know, not always, but quite often a mismatch in timing where the ships come too early and therefore are adding to the market. I think looking forward, as you said quite rightly there, you know, the, up to a third of the, the ships are not fixed on long-term charters or open to the market. And so even as we start to see activity picking up and people looking to uh, reinstate projects, which then maybe they've postponed, my hope is that we won't see a rush to the uh, to the shipyards, that the 35 or so open new bills that we see on the order book right now will be fixed against those new requirements um, without having to go and, uh, and uh, do new buildings. So that's what we hope. Um, be interesting to see. But, um, you know, certainly if you look out over the next four to five years, we'll need every ship on the water. What we need to make sure is that we try to get those ships to deliver as and when required and not ahead of, get us get ahead of the demand, which of course then creates the uh, the pressure on the shipping rates. In uh, other shipping segments, a boat uh, is a boat, you can say, and it uh, earns at least about the same no matter when it was built. Uh, as Matt has uh, explained to me, LNG is very different with rapid changes to uh, vessel technology in the last uh, 20 years. Can you explain the dynamics of uh, the market and, and also what sort of vessels uh, you have in the gas log uh, fleet? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, the, there are basically, uh, I would say, three, three principal designs in the market right now. Um, and starting from the earlier ones through to the today so the the earlier ones were the steam vessels which were um uh up to about sort of 2005 2006 then we saw what we call tri-fuel diesel electric engines coming in and then we have seen sort of uh two-stroke uh slow speed engines so what's the primary difference there well it's really around fuel consumption the steam turbines uh consume approximately 180 tons of fuel oil equivalency a day uh, the TFDEs are around 120, 130 tons, so, you know, 50 to 60 tons less. And the two-strokes uh, are around 100 tons, so 20 to 30 tons less than the TFDEs and 80 tons less than the steam turbine. So you can see the uh, increase in efficiency, uh, you know, nearly a halving of fuel consumption over the last uh, 15 years. Uh, the second thing is that the... Um, Containment systems. So basically, the ships are, are huge thermos flasks. So you put the liquid in there. You don't have it under pressure. You don't refrigerate on the ship. You just try to keep it as cool as possible. So you have a certain amount of cargo boiling off each day, uh, which is then used to uh, uh, usually used to uh, in the engines of the ship to to propel the ship. What's happened as well over time is that the containment systems have got a lot better. So if you go back to the steam turbines I was talking about, you would lose about 0.15% per 
day of the uh, of the gas would boil off. But containment systems today, it's about 0.8%. So again, you know, um, basically nearly a halving of the boil off rate over the same the same time. So what that's done, if you look at what we call the unit freight cost, how much does it cost to deliver each molecule of gas to the customer? That's come down over the last sort of 10, 15 years by about 50%. Uh, now, if you look at the gas log fleet, we have, because we've been in the business for quite a long time, we have ships in each of those different categories. We have steams, uh, primarily at gas log partners. We have TFDs and we have uh, the two strokes. Uh, the two strokes, which is um, you know, the more modern ones, we've probably got one of the largest fleets of those vessels. Uh, all our new builds are, are, are modern XDFs. We have 12 of those vessels, uh, all on charter. Uh, when the, 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 the five which are being built and come out uh, later this year and beginning into next year come out, um, you know, we have around uh, $265 million of EBITDA from those ships and, and, a, and a total backlog of around $3.8 billion uh, in, in total in the company. So um, over time, we're looking, uh, you know, to continue to, to build a, a fleet of, uh, of modern vessels. But there's still, uh, in my opinion, uh, room for the, uh, for the steams and the TFDEs in, in, uh, in certainly in intra-basin trades and in, in uh, niche trades. Paul, just a final one for me. This is one thing I've always been a bit uh, curious about, but uh, uh, it seems that earnings premium for modern vessel increase uh, the higher the gas prices or energy prices in general. Uh, is there a chance that this low price gas environment could make it easier to fix older vessels on short and medium term employment? Yeah, I think that is, uh, you're correct. I mean, I think in general, if you look at the market, we prefer the gas price to be high because that allows more arbitrage and, and, and more, if you like, uh, rent uh, available for shipping. But certainly when you get into the lower gas pricing, the differential between uh, a steam turbine and a modern XDF ship drops because the, the amount that you're paying for the gas or the fuel oil to, to uh, fuel those ships is, uh, is so much less. And, and as I said, that's especially the case in the more niche uh, and shorter trades into intra-basin trades into uh, area, you know, for example, uh, the AG into Pakistan, India trades where the, the durations are much shorter. Um, those, I think, are the trades where you can see, especially when you have low gas prices, this, that the differential between steams, TFDs and two strokes uh, uh, drop uh, uh, quite a lot. So uh, it is it is helpful in that sense, but uh, we're looking forward, I think, to a, a pickup in pricing. You know, the other thing I would say about LNG pricing is it is very uh, seasonal. Uh, usually, going into the northern hemisphere, winter, we see a, a pickup in pricing, which we still expect uh, this year. And uh, I think you know, just generally, it, that's helpful uh, in terms of the LNG shipping market. So I think that uh, wraps it up for uh, today. So um, thank you again, Paul, for taking uh, the time and uh, joining us uh, today. It will uh, definitely be interesting to continue to uh, following uh, the LNG shipping sector and especially gas log uh, as well. Uh, thank you also uh, to you, Mats, for joining us and thank you everyone for listening. Thank you.
Denne podcasten og dets innehåll skal anses som markedsføringsmateriell fra DNB og må ikke oppfattes som investeringsanbefaling eller som investeringsanalyse. Innehållet skal heller ikke anses for att være investeringsrådgivning tilpasset den enkelte kundes behov. Information som gis i podcasten er kun ment som generell spareveiledning og er ikke ment å utgjøre juridisk, finansiell, kommersiell, skattemessig eller regnskapsmessig rådgivning. Innholdet i sendingen er ikke gjennomgått eller godkjent av DNB Markets avdeling for analyse. Alle uttalelser reflekterer DNBs vurderinger på tidspunktet for den aktuelle sendingen, og kan i etterkant endres uten nærmere beskjed. DNB er ikke ansvarlig for hvordan information i podcasten benyttes eller tolkes. Informasjonen som henviser til historisk avkastning i finansielle instrumenter, en finansiell indeks eller prognoser, gir ingen garanti for fremtidig avkastning. DNB gjør oppmerksom på at enhver investering i et finansielt instrument er forbundet med risiko for økonomisk tap. Finansielle instrumenter kan både øke og minske verdi, slik at avkastning kan bli negativ som følge av kursfall. DNB tar inte et ansvar for direkte eller indirekte tap og kostnader som måtte oppstå ved bruk av den information som gis i podcasten.